yeah she was like hey my friend has this podcast you would be great on it I was like dude no <laughs> but then but, you changed your mind well she because she kept saying it <laughs> I was like oh fine Camille is the mother of five children who suffer from a variety of mental illnesses, including OCD and depression. After her daughter's suicide attempt, Camille's parenting philosophy completely shifted. She now advocates for normalizing the mental illness dialogue between parents and children. I'm Katie Houston Davies, and this is Mental Illness and Me. So my name is Camille. I'm a 30-something-year-old mom of five. Um, I have four girls and one boy. The boy is the baby, although he's seven, so I should probably stop calling him the baby. And then my oldest is 16, and there's five of them between there. Um, I am totally addicted to Diet Coke and chocolate and terrible reality TV. I just can't stop. Um <laughs> Tell me, what are your top two favorites? Because I have oh, I have a love of some reality TV myself. I know. So. I just can't stop. I, well, obviously The Bachelor. <laughs> it's so awful. Um, and then like some of the stuff on Netflix, like The Circle. It's so oh, terrible. I haven't heard about that one. No, it's terrible. But I can't stop watching it. <laughs> I know that it's like a train wreck. All of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. You just can't look away. <laughs> yeah. So anyways. So I've been married for 17 years um, to a wonderful husband. Uh, We have moved like so many times, like 11 times or something like that, and lived in five different states. Um, But we're back to Utah where we grew up and by family, which is nice. And I love being outside and in nature, grew up doing all that kind of camping, four-wheeling stuff. would love to do more of it if I could. Um, love to play the piano. I've been playing since I was five. And we had a piano room when I was little that was like a separate room with a door. And I would go in there and just play for hours with the door shut. It was the best therapy ever. I um, did the same thing. It yeah. really was my therapy. Like when oh, I was yeah. sad. I would just play and sing and cry and yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Exactly. And the door was perfect because the family was like, whatever, didn't have to be out in the open. But yeah, it was the best. And playing the piano gave me so many opportunities growing up that like, I'm so glad my mom made me stick with it. Like I fought her, of course, like every kid does. Right. But like, so glad I stuck with it because I got to do some really awesome things like in my teenage young adult years that yeah it was worth it I love to laugh love to have fun with my family and friends and just like to find joy in everything I guess oh that's wonderful what a great introduction thank you yeah the reason that you contacted me in part is because you are the mother of children who have dealt with a variety of mental illnesses and I was really excited that you were willing to share your story because this is kind of a unique perspective that we haven't really delved into on this podcast yet. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about the mental illnesses that your family has faced together and that you've been helping your kids through over the past several years. Yeah, I really think that if we can share our stories, it helps other people, which is kind of why I thought 
you know, it's worth sharing because if you share your story, I just feel like it really validates other people, makes them feel less alone, totally normalizes like the human experience. So people realize they're not the only ones going through something hard. So like, even though it can be uncomfortable, I think sharing your story can just, it just really helps other people. So um, as far as my kids, between our five kids, uh, we've received diagnoses um, ranging from like um, mild to severe anxiety and depression, um, ADHD, Tourette syndrome, bipolar 2, and OCD. Um, we've dealt with like some self-harm and suicidal ideation and um, one suicide attempt with residential treatment. It's just been a really hard journey. Wow. I mean, that's putting it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it, it's a lot, you know, some days are better than others, but, and it's an ongoing journey. It's not like it was hard for a day and we got through it and now we're good. Right. It's, it's ongoing. What were some of the warning signs that you saw in your children that sort of indicated to you that something was up and that they needed some help that was outside of what you as a family could provide? I think the first thing we started to notice was with um, our middle daughter. Um, She just came with a really strong personality. And I tell her all the time that it will serve her so well in her life. Um, It's a little harder (laughs) when it's a kid. But she just came really strong. And um, I just started to notice when she was really little, like two or three probably, that the things I had used with my first two just weren't working with her. She just had a really hard time with like being flexible, going with the flow, uh, changing activities, like things not going her way. If plans were to change, um, like stuff like that. And obviously all toddlers and preschoolers like struggle with some of that, but hers was like at this whole other level that my other two hadn't had. And, and I, you know, at first would ask some other parents or like older family members who had more experience, kind of what could I try with her? And usually I got kind of advice of like, uh, you know, put her in a timeout and every time she leaves the timeout, reset the timer until she stays the whole time or like be more firm or more consistent and clear And it kind of felt like all the advice I was getting was ways to kind of break her of her like strong personality. But it was just different because she would be having tantrums for hours. She would just be screaming hysterically no matter what I did, no matter how firm or consistent or what I did, she would just be screaming. And, and then obviously I'd be crying too, trying to figure out what to do. Um, and her emotions, they just were bigger and bigger and bigger. And I kind of knew something was different and that I needed to probably do something different. Um, but I wasn't really sure what to do. Um, and so we kind of stuck with <laughs> just butting heads for a couple more years. How are you supposed to know? <laughs> no, you, you just don't. You try to keep doing what you think is going to work. 
And until you get kind of to a breaking point, I guess. So we were at just like a yearly checkup with her pediatrician. And I just kind of started to mention some of the behaviors we were seeing. And um, he brought up the idea of anxiety. And at first I was like, this isn't an anxious kid. Because I was thinking, like, I grew up with anxiety. But mine was, I was painfully shy. I would not talk in front of anybody. This was not what she was doing. And so when he first brought it up, I was like, what are you talking about? She is not an anxious kid. Um, But I tried to, like, keep an open mind. And so I looked into some books and stuff that he had recommended. And um, I have to plug one book. Because the first book I read was called um, The Explosive Child by, I think it's Dr. Ross Green. And... I was already sobbing just reading the preface. Like I hadn't even gotten into the meat of the book and I was already just like sobbing as I was reading it because I was like, oh my gosh, this is my child. Like, are they in my house watching us and writing a book about us? Because this is exactly what we're going through. I love that you pointed that out because I remember a moment when I was in college and I had to read a bunch of different genres of books for an English education class that I was taking. And I had to read one that was a nonfiction book. And I chose one that was about uh, OCD or it was like teenagers with OCD or something like that. And I read it and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is me. I'm not crazy. I'm not weird. Oh, it's so validating. (laughs) Yeah. Other people have done the weird things that I did. And (laughs) there's a reason, there's a reason behind it. And from then on, it was like, yeah, it was really validating and really encouraging. And it helped me to feel like I could seek help and didn't have to be embarrassed to share some of these intrusive thoughts that I was having and behaviors. Well, because that's what mental illness does to you is it somehow you have decided you are the only one that is feeling this way. So why would you ever tell somebody? Right. Because they are for sure going to judge you. And like the sentence that stuck out the most to me was along the lines of um, like behaviorally challenging kids are challenging because they're lacking the skills to not be challenging. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's not trying to be hard. She's not trying to be difficult. Like she wants to be good, but she just doesn't have the right skills. Well, and also to me, it seems like it'd be validating as a parent because it doesn't say she is not behaving properly because the parenting is inconsistent or because, exactly. Exactly. because she's not, she's not getting the right kind of direction, you know, from her, from her exactly. parents. There's actually something here that is bigger than what the parent and the kid can take on so yeah we went back to the pediatrician I said okay maybe you were right (laughs) maybe this is anxiety or something and it's just presenting differently than I thought it would um and so he kind of suggested like we could do some medication and I don't remember what her age was at the time probably like seven or eight um but then he also set us up with like a therapist in his office just to do some little sessions for tools, you know, tools and tricks. I would love to say that it was that simple (laughs) and that's all it took, but I would not be talking to you right now if that was the case. (laughs) 
right so i mean we went through a couple years of like weekly talk therapy sessions and doing like a full neuropsych evaluation and trying all different medicines and her getting different diagnoses and finding out she has Tourette syndrome and it's been like just this constant what is going on we just keep trying and trying and trying other things with her kind of my final breaking point was we had to take her to the ER for a panic attack that we just could not we just couldn't snap her out of it at home and she was just like hyperventilating for a couple hours no matter what we did and and you know it took them medicating her at the hospital to finally calm her down and her and I both are not sure what triggered it which is what happens with panic attacks and I mean it's scary for her I just can't imagine for her just completely out of control she doesn't know why it's happening but she can't stop it oh it's Um, terrifying yeah yeah. I I have experienced that myself and you feel like you're gonna die and it's terrifying yeah yeah and I just that was kind of my point where I was like okay enough is enough I'm not gonna keep just going to these weekly sessions which are doing nothing for her I'm like I'm done and that's kind of when that mama bear kicked in, which I wish it had kicked in earlier, but I didn't know any better. And so then I found, which I think you're familiar with, the um, OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center here in Utah. Absolutely. And so we just got her into that, and they were able to finally properly diagnose her with OCD. And it's like everything is finally clicking into place. Like, well, no wonder all this treatment for anxiety was not working because they, the treatments are different for the two. I mean, some of it's similar, but it's also different. And so some of the stuff she was doing in talk therapy was actually just making the OCD much worse. So she's been there at the treatment center doing their intensive outpatient program for a couple months now. And Like, we've seen so much more progress in those two months than we have in the past three years of everything else we've tried. We've got another kid that we put in it after because I was like, okay, we're going to just, let's just get everybody handled because this is fantastic. I I mean, I just cannot say enough good about the place. I wish that I had... (laughs) known about that or that it was even something that existed or was talked about when I was a child because it took me until I was in my 30s to properly get treated for OCD but it's because that the research just wasn't what it is now while she was going through all of that um, because she has a strong personality uh, she kind of demanded the attention and so we had no choice but to like focus on her and get her the help she needed Um, But then I had a couple other kids who were quietly suffering that we weren't as aware of. Um, And unfortunately, so I didn't recognize in them until like my two older girls, I didn't recognize that they were like having a hard time until like their junior high years, like their early teen years. You know, they started to withdraw and be more moody and sleep more and were really irritable, which sounds a lot like normal teenage stuff (laughs) but um one of them in particular who had always been very very high achieving was suddenly like failing all her classes 
and just things that were very unusual. And then when we noticed that there was some self-harm happening, that was our biggest, like, okay, this is definitely not just teenage moodiness. And so we took them to a therapist. And unfortunately, um, one of them that we took to a therapist, um, that therapist, it still makes me so angry, told her that she lived a charmed life and had no reason to be feeling upset. Oh, which I still to this day, I'm like, why would you ever tell a child who is sitting in your office, obviously hurting, who's been self-harming, like hurting themselves, that they have no reason to be upset? I did not know that he had told her that until probably a year or two later when she told me. But I do know that when we left that appointment, she was like even more shut down and like, I'm fine. It's fine. Nothing's wrong with me. And I could not figure out why. So because I didn't know that had happened and she kept saying, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I kind of thought, okay, you know, parent out of fear. I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to crack down on stuff. I'm going to like take away her phone because that's probably causing depression or I'm going to make her stay home where I can watch everything she's doing or like insist that she finish homework before she can go do anything else. Like all these things that I'm like, okay, we're going to crack down on this and make sure she gets back in shape, you know? Right. And it just, it just went the opposite way to the point where at the beginning of this year, um, that child attempted suicide and was nearly successful. And, and I just, you know, that I think was the moment that like time just stood still. I mean, my world just stopped. Like everybody around me is still living their lives. And I'm just standing there like in a hospital room with my wonderful child who I've been trying to help. And I don't have any idea how we got to that point. And not really knowing what in the world do we do from here. We knew obviously she needed more help than we could offer at home. We were also kind of told by a social worker that if we didn't, (laughs) if we didn't agree to put her into residential, like inpatient treatment, um, that they would have to contact CPS and she would basically get taken anyways, because it would show us as being unfit parents. Wow. Yeah. So she went to inpatient treatment for a few days and we just had to kind of make a new game plan because the point of inpatient treatment isn't to like give them long-term help. Yeah. It's to get out of crisis. Yeah. And so it was for a few days, they kind of got her stabilized and, you know, gave us some like, here's some ideas of what you can do next. And then it's like, okay, see ya. And you take them home. I just think that moment is kind of when like everything in my parenting perspective changed. It was like, I just didn't care about anything anymore. Like I didn't care about all the stuff we had fought about all the like school and friends and homework and, and clothes and like phones and curfews and all that stuff that you fight about with a teenager. It was like, I just don't care. I don't care. It just, it did not matter. And 
all I wanted was for them to just be okay. And I, and I was just so grateful that she was still here and that I could still like love her for one more day even. Um, and so I just, I just kind of went from that moment forward and I just kind of shifted how I was going to approach my kids from then on. I'm just going to look at them as beautiful, wonderful souls who are on their own journey. They have their own skills and like challenges that they're going to have to go through. But I am the lucky one that gets to watch them grow and that gets to support them. And it's not my job to get them to like conform or fit into a like little special tiny little expectation box um, because I would be doing a huge disservice to them and myself if I expected them to be anything but just themselves. I just wanted to see them like God does and I just, that just changed everything for me. It Like I no longer saw like oh, they're failing classes or why are they acting out? This is just a beautiful soul who just, I am so lucky that they are in my home. I am so lucky. You have me crying over here. So oh. thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> What's so beautiful in listening to what you have to say right now is here's a mother who is saying, look, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just trying to survive and trying to figure out how to save this kid. And then here was this moment when I started to see things clearly and it changed everything for me. And just the humility that it takes to admit that you didn't know what you were doing oh, yeah. and that you still don't know what you're doing, oh, but you're not trying, at all. <laughs> you know, but you're yeah. trying and you're, and you now are seeing this child for who they really are. I mean, it's just, oh, it's just beautiful. Whenever I have had a hard time with a child, I have stopped and I have said to myself, not to them. <laughs> If I was in their shoes right now, how would I want somebody to talk to me? Would I want somebody in my face yelling at me, asking me, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Or would I want somebody to say, you are having a hard time. How can I help you? I just feel like connection with them is so much more important than correction to them. And we do still have, of course, our expectations and as far as living in a family and things that we abide by, of course. But I, I try much harder to connect with them than I do to just correct them and just check off. Okay, I'm raising them. Okay, I've taught them this today. I, because I feel like if I'm connecting with them and I'm building that relationship with them, everything else just kind of seems to work itself out. Right. And you're, you're being flexible and you are following the cues from that child and just allowing your path to be guided by experience and you're just keeping an open mind. I never, I mean, never in a million years thought we would be where we are right now. Right. Like three, four years ago, our life looked completely different. So I think if you're stuck in this, nope, my child will never do X, Y, Z, or we will never experience these things. 
you are setting yourself up for heartbreak. Before you had kids that had mental illnesses, what was your perception of mental illness? Things like depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. before you were kind of introduced into this world with your kids? And how has that perception changed? Yeah, I think like a lot of people kind of in our age group and older, um, we were raised with mental illness. It, it just wasn't really a thing. It wasn't talked about. It wasn't understood. Um, or if it, if you did hear something about it, it was like a weakness or it was like, yeah, it just, you didn't hear much about it. Or you were kind of like told that like happiness is a choice and which I think is a fine statement, but I like to change happiness um, for hopefulness or optimism. I like that. Because I feel like regardless of if you're happy or sad, you can choose to have hope or optimism. But I don't think truly that happiness is always a choice. And I think if you're raised where that's your internal monologue, that like happiness is a choice. All you have to do is choose to be happy and you're not happy, then you feel like you failed. You can choose to hope that happiness will come but you can't always choose if you'll be happy. I don't know that I ever looked at it as a weakness because from a young age, I also was dealing with some mental illness. And so I, I kind of was like a little bit more compassionate about it, but I definitely was less understanding than my, than I am now at this point. I, I like to make people uncomfortable about Mm -hmm. it. I like to talk about it. I like to bring it up. And when people are uncomfortable, I like to say why. Because mental health is not going anywhere. It's the same as physical health that needs to be treated the same as physical health. If I have a broken arm and decide to not get a cast because I don't want people to see me with a cast, my arm's not going to heal, right? It's not going to go away. And so I think trying to avoid mental health and trying to avoid these stigmas and these labels is not doing any good. And I, I like the one major parenting win I had was in a moment when my teenager, my older teenager was willing to talk to me. (laughs) Um, She said that she has a lot of friends because it's, I mean, mental health is a challenge for all teenagers right now. Right. And she said she has a lot of friends who have gone to their parents and said, I am really struggling or I am suicidal or I'm depressed and I want help. And she said most of her parents have said, it's just part of being a teenager. You're fine. And she said, you're the only parent in my whole friend group that took it seriously. And I was like, okay, well, at least there's that. I may have failed (laughs) at everything else. (laughs) But at least there's that, I guess. What advice do you have for parents who are dealing with a child who has serious depression or suicidal ideation? What would you tell them to do? First, I would just tell them, hang in there. Like, you're doing the best you can. And you did nothing wrong. You did nothing to cause this. You're not a failure. Because those are a lot of the feelings I felt. I was like, what have I done wrong? And then I would say get them the help they need. Like, don't wait. They're just, 
find a therapist, find a doctor. I mean, there are apps, there are websites, there are phone numbers that you can even just call just to get an idea of if they need help. And then I would say in the meantime, while you're trying to do that, just let go of your expectations of what you thought their future would look like. Because that will keep both of you stuck in a really bad spot. And just stay present with them. Just be with them and meet them where they're at. If they can't get out of bed, go into their room, sit on the edge of their bed, rub their back. They're going to yell at you and tell you to go away. But just try that. Just tell them how much you love them. And it's really, really, really hard, especially when they're pushing you away, to keep trying and not to take it personally. But they just need you to be consistent and they just need you to be there. They need to know that you're there when they are ready. And and then I would say lastly, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Like nobody likes to have the conversation about are you thinking about hurting yourself? Like nobody wants to ask that question. But you have to. Even if you're not really sure if they are feeling that way, you you have to get comfortable with asking that stuff. And if they say, yes, I'm thinking about hurting myself, you have to like poker face it. And you just have to say, okay, thank you so much for telling me. I know that must have been really hard. And I am like, I'm so sorry that you are feeling so low. And I just want you to know I'm here for you and I'm going to help you and we're going to get help. But thank you for being willing to tell me. You can't say, oh my gosh, why? What's wrong? You know, why would you feel that way? Your life is great. Like that just shuts them down. A few years ago, I would have never imagined having those kind of conversations. (laughs) Never. And I remember the first time a doctor asked one of my kids that. And I was like, you can't ask my kid that? Like, that's weird. But now I'm like, no, you got to ask them. And you have to act like it's no big deal. Even though inside you might be dying a little bit. Or like freaking out that you have to say this to your child. But if you act like it's not a big deal and that you can handle anything, they're much more likely to come to you when it really is a big deal. The goal of Mental Illness in Me is to normalize the mental health conversation and help those who suffer feel less alone. Your support is critical to raise awareness and help as many people as possible. If this podcast resonates with you, please follow our Instagram account, Mental Illness in Me KT, our Facebook page, Mental Illness in Me, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email mentalillnessandmekt at gmail.com.